Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Perception is Reality. This is your host, David, and I'm back today, and I thank you all for joining me and joining my guest, Daniel Bruce Levin. Yeah. Who I will be calling Danny for the rest of the episode, just so you know. Better job. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to put that out there, I will be calling him Danny for the rest of the show. Um, DBL was already uh, trademarked, so I can't call him DBL for short, so... Uh, we'll just go with Danny from here on out. So Danny, what I'm thing that I like to do before I, um, a forget and B, uh, ask you what the topic is today. Uh, I like to tell everybody how we met. It's a full disclosure podcast. So I found you in podcast guest connection group and I was like, yeah, I'd love you to be a guest. So you said yes. And I appreciate you doing that. Um, the other thing that I like to do up front before I forget, this is the before I forget part, uh, Danny, is that you are an author. So what I would like you to do now while we still have everybody's attention is tell everybody what your, what your book is and how they can find you and then we'll get off to the races. Thank you, brother. Um, I am an author. I've written several books, but the book that I'm extremely excited about is a book called The Mosaic. It is a uh, it's my legacy book, and I thought when I was writing it that I was going to write a completely different book, and I sent it to a friend of mine who became a muse, and I had been at Hay House for 10 years, a publishing company, uh, and we grew Hay House together during the time that I was there from $3 million a year to $100 million a year, and they're the premier self-help com publishing company now in the world. And so as I wrote my book, I wrote what, I th what became a self-help book. And when I sent it to my friend, she said to me, Danny, this is a great book, but it's not yours. And I said, I'm sorry, do you think I plagiarized it? Like, what are you talking about? And she said, no, 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 your ideas are fresh. They're really neat. They're good. But you, you wrote a self-help book. You're not a self-help person. You don't even like self-help. You don't like teaching people anything. What you like is telling stories and sitting with people and sort of sharing space with people. So why would you write a self-help book? And I said, that's a darn good question. I said, it's my legacy. I wanted to leave something for people. She said, okay, why don't you write a story? I said, what are you talking about? Like, what would I write? And she said, why don't you write a fable? I said, a fable? And I fought her for about a minute and a half thinking my legacy can't be a fable. I mean, that's like a kid's book. And after about a minute and a half of resisting the idea, suddenly it hit me. In the telling of a story, what happens is if a story is told well, it no longer becomes the storyteller's story. It becomes the one who's listening to its story. Because the words that I say and the story I tell, you craft in your own mind to create your own story out of it. And so it's the story that is not a story. It's the story of a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where the, his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So the boy sets out in search of the place called heaven. 
And the people that he meets along the way are not what you would think would be the archetypes of, of people who could show him heaven. They were a homeless man and a street worker and a blind woman and a uh, juice man and a gardener and a trash man. And as he's walking, meeting these people and, and, he, and he engages with them, he says, I wonder why I'm meeting these people, but I'm here with them. I might as well listen to their stories. As he listens to their stories in 100% of the cases, what happens, David, is the person he walks away from is completely different than the person he first saw. And when he's done that over and over and over and over and over again, he walks right into a monk who unzips the sky and walks him through to a parallel reality. I'm going to pause right there in the story because hopefully through the course of this talk, through the course of our, our conversation together, mm -hmm. someone might want to read that. But that yeah. really plays into the conversation that I want to have with you. Which is? Which is what we see is really just that. It's what we see. We don't see the world that exists. We see the world that we see exists. We don't understand that the world is much bigger and deeper and wider and vaster and multidimensional. What we think is the world we see, the opinions we have, the thoughts that we believe are facts. They're only facts in our head. They're not facts in anybody else's head. And the more we can understand that, the reason why it's so important is because all of the conflict we have is based on this is what I believe versus this is what you believe. It's like the eight blind men who, who were asked to, to tell the wise one what an elephant looked like. Mm. And one mm -hmm. hold the held the trunk and one held the tusks and one held the ears and one held the legs and one held the tail and, and so forth. And all of them told a different story of what the elephant was. All of them were right and all of them were 100% wrong as well. You can find me at danielbrucelevin.com. You can find the mosaic there as well, or you can order it if it's easier for you to do on amazon.com. And that's the last unsolicited uh, sales presentation I will give because this is not about a sales conversation. This is about us getting to know each other, getting to feel each other out, feel the vibration of what we feel. There's just one more thing that I would like to share with people today. Please do. As you listen to us speak, don't only listen to the words. Listen to the vibration behind the words. You know, in every major town, they have something like an Occupy Wall Street, where people come out and stand on the corners and occupy the corners to give a message. Our voices, I like to say, are an Occupy Mind movement. Because when we, get, when we say things that are interesting, people get engaged in the conversation. And what that allows them, their mind to do, is free itself up to deal with the conversation and not resist the work that's being done on the soul and the work that's being done on the heart and the work that's being done on the internal being. So when we can 
allow the words to occupy our mind, but then also allow ourselves to feel and the resonance of my voice and the resonance of our conversation together and the resonance of the feeling that we have through this conversation. What do you feel? What are you experiencing? What do you allow yourself to have? That's where the transformation will happen. The words might inspire you or they might make you happy. They might make you unhappy. You might agree with them. You might disagree with them. But underneath all of that, what's actually happening? There's a transition happening. There's a transformation happening. And if you allow that to take entry into your being, what will you leave this conversation like? Just like Mo left every one of the people he met seeing somebody different, what will you leave this conversation seeing? Will you see something different too? Okay. No, that's a good thought. I hope people do. Uh, that's something that I like to hopefully they get out of every episode is, and, and I like to talk to various people, Danny. It's like, I, honestly, I like to talk to, I'm going to use air quotes, normal people, because I feel like everybody's got a story. Um, and I don't, my perception is that I don't think people realize that they do have a story and their stories do matter. But I feel like sometimes we live in, an, in a sense of insignificance when we're part of a bigger whole. Yeah, well, how could we not, David? In some ways, the world has so much noise in it. When I, when I was growing up, our complaint was we didn't have a voice. We couldn't get heard. There was no vehicles for us to get heard. Well, over the course of the years of my life, I'm 64 now. Over the course of the years of my life, we found a lot of vehicles to, to get heard. We're on a podcast that we can sit in our living rooms and just talk to each other. And our voice can be heard in, in continents all around the world. So we have the vehicle to be heard. The problem now is that there's so much noise. It's hard to find the bandwidth to be heard within all that noise. And so even those of us who have voice really have a limited capacity to share our voice with others. There's some that break through, but the majority of us, of people, and this is my big work, the majority of the people are never heard. My work is to work with the, for the voice of the voiceless, to be the voice of the voiceless, to be able to give voice to those who never, who have been told all their life, why would you even say anything? Your voice doesn't matter. You're a janitor or you're, a, or, or you're just a street cleaner or you're just a maid or you're just a, a cook. Who's going to listen to you? But do you know what? Like a mosaic, we are made beautiful by every single piece being able to show its beauty, whether that's through the voice, through the way we come together, through our collected, our collected consciousness. When Mo sat with each one of those characters and listened to them, something miraculous happened for him. And Mo is me. When I went around the world and I traveled and I sat, with the richest people in the world and the poorest of the poor. You know what I heard, David? I heard the same message over and over again. 
It didn't matter how much money they had, what religion they practiced, what border they lived behind, what color their skin was, where they worked or didn't work, how big their home was or how, how wide their cardboard box was. Every single one of them wanted to be loved and appreciated. They wanted to be heard and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and validated. Not one of them said, Danny, I want you to agree with me. When I listen to people, when I hear what they're saying, they don't care what I believe. They know I have the right to believe what I believe. But we don't listen. Look how much I'm talking even now. But it isn't just listening by not talking. It's listening by opening up every sense. What I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to feel whoever is listening to this podcast, what they need, what they want, what, what their voice is saying. And I try to listen to that and respond with my words. If I'm doing a good job, great. If I'm doing a lousy job, great. I'm sorry. I can be <laughs> quiet too. <laughs> no, you're, doing a, you're doing a great job. And uh, I... I Early on in the first season of this podcast, I did a lot of talking and I've learned um, it's, it's flipped to me doing quite a bit of listening. And I'm not saying I did a lot of talking. Um, I mean, I had some soliloquies, but I mean, it was really about learning and listening to other people. Uh, so you're not, you're, you're, you're good. You have a, a good message and there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So one of them is there's two things that came right into my head as you were talking earlier. One was when you were talking about the, um, I'm going to struggle with the adjective here, but I'm going to use the word caliber, the caliber of person, I guess, the, the working class person that Mo had to go talk. Mo, he didn't have to, he talked to, he learned, he learned their stories. And so that's, I mean, the first thing that I was like, well, why are, why would their stories be any less significant than uh, a CEO on Wall Street or, you know, owner of whatever, owner of a broken heart? I don't know, just to, to quote a song from the right. 80s or 70s, because it's a good song. But anyway. So, so I think um, in my story, the reason why he initially had resistance mm -hmm. was because when he set out, he was told his parents were in heaven. So I think the people he thought he was going to talk to or listen to were going to be the rabbis and the priests and the Sikhs and the shamans and the Sufis and the yogis and the gurus and all of those people. And so, but the beauty of it is, is that he spoke to ordinary people. Mm -hmm. And I do this in my work a lot, David, and let's do it here between you and I. I have a feeling you'll be skewed in a different direction, but let's try. <laughs> let's try. Okay. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, with one being what you would hate to be and what you would hate your kids to be, and 10 being what you live for and die for, and what you would, what you would pray other people would say about you, where do you put the word ordinary? What number would you give that word? So the question is just, I'm going to repeat it back. So I understand. So the word is ordinary and on a scale of one to 10, uh, one being no good. Yep. 10 being ordinary is good. 
Yep. That's a tough one because ordinary. Okay, so this is going to be a problem <laughs> because for, for and I'm I'm just going to give you the the I'll give you the straight up answer and then I'll tell you. So ordinary for me would sit at a solid five. Okay. But I am one of those types of people that I will dissect the heck out of everything. I will get out the the 100 magnification mag. Uh, tele, I'll get out a telescope that you can see Pluto with, and dissect the meaning of the word ordinary and what context. Uh, what's the dictionary meaning? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Why does it mean that to me? But I'm just I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna make you suffer through all that. I'm just gonna say my first gut reaction would be I would put that at a solid five. Because okay. if you couldn't say five, because five is a, is a getaway answer. Five is, I don't really want to commit to one or 10. So I'm going to say. And I can qualify that though. Okay. I can qualify why that's, that's. But say you couldn't say five, forget about if, all the. If I couldn't say five and if you it had was, to say an, another number, what if it was between be? one and four. No, if it was between one and 10, but you can say ten, five. But I can't say five. Yeah. I would probably put that I'm going to give you a solid three. Okay. So if I were to take that same scale now with one being in your language, no good, not my language, but one being in your language, no well, good. Well, I just, I shorted it to ground, but okay. yeah, I, I get what you're, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And 10 being fabulous. Mm -hmm. Where would you put the word extraordinary as a quality you would like to see your children and your children's children and yourself have? Maybe I first, I, I, you can't say five again. No, I'm not. I wouldn't say five for this one because <laughs> okay, of what good. we just went through. But like my, my initial and I and you don't have to answer, but my my retort back to you was going to be in what way? Because you can be an extraordinary fool. You can be an extraordinary person. You can be an extraordinary yeah, and character. whatever, in always, in always, if you are telling your kids, we want you to live life as an extraordinary and, and experience extraordinary in whatever you do, what would you, what number would that get be? I'm an overthinker, Danny. Yes, you are. Um, I'm, I'm totally so stop an thinking and just answer quickly. Six. Okay. Um, I told you you would be an skewed differently than everybody else, but even in skewing differently, you still lean, you leaned into the same way people think. Most people, when I ask them if they want to be what where ordinary would sit, they would say a one or a two. They do not want to be ordinary, nor do they want their kids to be ordinary, nor do they want their kids' kids to be ordinary. They don't see any beauty in ordinary. They think it's a lack of, of talent. They think it's a lack of ability. They think it's a wasted life. When I ask them on the same scale where they would put extraordinary, they go, oh my God, 10, 12, 15. We, we want everybody. We want to be extraordinary. And really in the life that we live right now, people are talking about the superpowers that we have. And we're starting to become, you know, so, so, uh, uh, so normalizing the fact that everybody has their superpower. Hey, Danny. Yeah, I just I want can I before you explain because I want to I want to qualify my five before you explain because I don't want that to appear like I'm agreeing with what you're going to say, which I'm sure I'm going to. But I picked a five for the word ordinary because there is beauty in ordinary. It, there's nothing wrong with being ordinary to me. Ordinary. The word ordinary is a solid five on the scale on the grand scheme of things. and There's nothing wrong with it. 
So like a le- to me, being ordinary is a legit solid five and there's, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I think that that's a, I think I view ordinary as a neutral. Extraordinary I view as slightly more dangerous depending, that's why I asked the question in what way, because you know, extraordinary people can do extraordinarily bad things, uh, but extraordinary people can do an extraordinarily good things. So I just wanted to qualify where my five came from. In my overthinking head, like five is a neutral, that's a, it's ordinary is a neutral word to me. It's a, it, it deserved a neutral answer. Okay. It, 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 I, and I get that. So stick with me in, okay. the bro- in the brilliance of your mind, stick with me and forget that I did the experiment with you. Okay. <laughs> no, because, because I don't, I, I don't want to have you feel like you have to rationalize or explain or tell me what your answer is. I just want you to experience, to experience what the experience of the world that I live in deals with. Okay. Yes, I'm ready. So most people give ordinary a one or a two and give extraordinary a 10 or a 15 or a 20 on a 10 scale. And so I asked them a very simple question. I say, if ordinary is something you don't want to be, why do you want to be extra of something you don't want? We've grown up in our society to believe there's something wrong with being ordinary. This is, a, this is a perception of re, of re, in reality or of reality that I want to completely disrupt. When you see the most ordinary things in the world, they are the most beautiful things in the world. There is nothing that can capture my attention and take my breath away more than a sunrise or a sunset. And they happen every single day. And I know exactly the time they're going to happen. I can walk to the ocean and and know exactly the moment the sun's going to set. It's the most ordinary thing that happens every day. The most ordinary thing that happens every day is night follows day. And day follows night. And there's something so exquisite about the precision of that uh, working of nature that it takes my breath away. The most ordinary thing in the world is that in fall, leaves change color and drop off the tree and die. And the most ordinary thing in the world is in the spring, buds appear on the tree, new flowers, new leaves appear on the tree, and it's unbelievably gorgeous. You can, you can, you can predict the day, week, time that it's gonna happen. When you go to New England, you know exactly what week you can go there to see the change of color in any given year. It's ordinary. But we've grown up with this thought because we have to be superhumans. We're always pushing ourselves to be more than we are. We have to always excel. That ordinary is no good. We have to be extraordinary. We have to be superpowers. We have to be, we have to be superheroes. And what that does is it doesn't allow us ever to to really love ourselves as we are. We push ourselves beyond the point of what we can be to a place that is completely unsustainable. And we are living in a pandemic time where self-loathing is at the highest possible place it could be. And self-love is at the lowest possible place it could be. And so what happens when when we loathe ourselves? 
we believe the rest of the world doesn't loathe itself. So what we don't want the world to do is we don't want the world to see us as we are, so we silo ourselves. We build walls around ourselves to protect us from being seen as we really are. And we paint those, world, those walls with the versions of ourselves that we think the world wants us to be. And we get so good at it that we start to believe that we're our silos, not ourselves. So when two people come together to have a relationship, because my, my, my area of expertise is connectivity and connection. When two people come together to connect, whether they be a lovers, whether they be business partners, whether they be heads of state, whether they be corporations, all we really see is my wall gets to meet your wall. It's very, very rare that the person behind the wall comes out to meet the person behind the other wall. And we wonder why there's no intimacy. We wonder why we don't trust people. We wonder why what we see doesn't appear real, because it's not real. It's a made up world. And we do it to ourselves also. We don't let ourselves be ourselves because we constantly put ourselves down because we believe we have to be more than we are instead of just accepting the exquisiteness of ordinary. When we allow ourselves to be beautifully ordinary, we no longer need the pretense of being more than we are. We can practice kindness to ourselves because we know we're going to fall down sometimes. And when we fall down, we get back up. But when we have to believe that we're superhuman and superpowers and, and we have our, our, our weapons of mass destruction aimed at ourselves, every time we fall, we set ourselves up for a very, very lonely existence, living in silos that we ourselves can't even see ourselves. Does this make sense to you? Oh, it absolutely does. And it's, you were saying it so well, I didn't, normally I would have jumped in and, but you were saying it so well. Um, you're, I, I talk about this on, on the podcast a lot and, and I'm just going to say that I don't do it a quarter of, of and close to what, what you, how, how you did it and how you said it. But I will say that when I talk about that, I like to talk about the Facebook effect and that how the, the social media perpetuates and exacerbates this phenomenon. Of course. And it just makes things worse. And we're in a, we end up in a self-fulfilling prophecy and uh, a flaming death spiral all at the same time. Um, maybe it's a self fulfilling death spiral. I don't know. I'll, I'll coin that. I'll, I'll copyright that <laughs> phrase later, but um, okay. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I talk about that a lot because, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I like to have the podcast and I call it perception is reality, but really it's perception isn't reality. Well, um, perception is reality, but you can change your perception. You can, and, if you're, if you're willing to dig beyond what you see. Yeah. But if it, so if you're a, tr if, if you're a person that seeks the truth, here's the problem. And I just, had a, I just had a podcast this morning where I spoke to somebody. They were, they were a football player, an ex-football player, and a big black guy. And he grew up poor, and his, and, he, and his daddy left him at an early age, and he wanted a dad, and his mom worked herself to the core. And he grew up with five, five learning disabilities, and he stuttered, 
and he he was mad so he got into he 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 started to attack you know be violent and be angry and get into get himself into trouble and and he had one thing happen that gave him the opportunity to see the world differently than he had seen it before and all the energy that went into hatred went into forgiveness all the energy that went into hatred went into now his new his newfound faith in a god that he never believed in and for him he was a christian i'm not a christian but i could sit with him as a as a brother in christ and say to him i love you brother and i can feel you and he had so much passion because what his his message was is never forget your dream never forget what you have come here to do never forget what you've always believed was your mission of what you want because here's here's the line he said which sticks with me right now and this is hours later a victim talks about the process they're going through a victor talks about where they're going to they don't talk about the process they're going through they talk about the destination they're going to and it touched me so much that I just wanted to share it. It's, it's his, his name is Sean Harper. He played professional football for seven years in the NFL. And if you get a chance to hear, his, hear him, or uh, I, I highly recommend you do a powerful speaker. Yeah, I will. That's, um, I've, I've had somebody on the podcast in the past say something similar. Uh, actually, a couple of people have. It's been a common theme. Uh, so I appreciate will, that. Will you do me a up. Will you do me a favor? Can yeah. I go get a little bit of water? I know you're in perfect. Yeah. perfect. No, give me, two, give me one minute just to get a little water. Go Thank ahead. you. I'll be right back. So everybody, uh, while we're waiting, just remember that uh, it's the book is the mosaic. And it is Danny's life's work written for your benefit. And I hope you all can enjoy it. And while we're on the topic of, of all things, um, if you'd like to be a guest, which I think there are several of you who know who I'm talking to, which I really don't want to give you the choice to be a guest. You should be a guest. You should contact me. Um, so you can be a guest on the show because you know you want to. Thank you, brother. I had a perception that my throat was becoming the Sahara Desert. It, it, it usually does, and I should have prepped you. I, it's one of the pre-green room questions, but we kind of just jumped into it. And I had water here, but I just drank it through quickly. <laughs> What what you missed on the interlude was I was telling everybody uh, about the mosaic once more, and I was telling them that there's a few people that I know um, would like to be guests. They're just a little afraid, so I was talking to them specifically to be a guest. Good. Um, what are you afraid I, of? Like, what are you afraid of? Why? What? What? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen if well, you show up as yourself? People are afraid of backlash. For some some reason, um, I don't know why. Uh, and I also, really I think I invite people to look at that. Do you know? Have you ever watched um, anything from Brene Brown, my fellow Houstonian? Of course, of course. 
People are afraid to be vulnerable, Danny. Um, okay. Um, but why? And I, I, I get it. I'm asking why because I know why. I, I was scared for a lot of years. Why were you scared? I was scared because I didn't want people to see the person that I actually am. Because everybody thought I was so much more than I was. And I didn't want to disappoint people and let them down. But you know what? The burden of carrying what people believe you are or the burden of carrying what you want people to believe you are becomes so heavy at a certain point in time. It becomes so exhausting. It becomes so tiresome. And I'm not smart enough to, to maintain a persona that I'm not. And so I, I really came down to this one simple thought that really helped me a lot. What people think about me, they're going to be wrong most of the time. If they think I'm great, they're probably going to be wrong. And if they think I suck, I'm pro they're probably going to be wrong. So they can think whatever they want to think. They have every right to think of me whatever they want. That's not my obligation. My obligation is to know who I am. And when I know who I am, who they think I am doesn't touch me. I mean, I'll listen. Like, I, like if, I, if I mess up and someone tells me I mess up, of course I want to hear that. But if, if I know who I am, that immediately removes the authority from you of you being able to tell me who I am. But if I don't know who I am, I believe everything you say about me because I have nothing to weigh it against. And one of the things that I think is missing in our world today, I grew up with really, in, in a, I grew up really poor. And I moved in with, with family members who were really rich after my parents passed away. And so the whole uh, friends, the friends that I now had were super wealthy and, and, were, and well, some of them are billionaires now. And, I, and they asked me all along the way, Danny, you're so talented. You have so much. Why are you spending all this time looking for yourself and trying to find yourself? Why don't you get out and do something in the world and help the world in a way that will be powerful? You know something? 45 years later, I got a chance to sit with some of those people again. And you know what they said to me now? They said to me, Danny, we have all the money in the world. We thought you were an idiot. We thought you were wasting your time. But when we sit with you, you have something that I don't think we'll ever be able to have. You have a sense of contentment and peace with their life the way it is right now that we sorely want, that's sorely lacking in us. And I'm so sad when I hear that because I look out into the world what are we spending our time doing? As Alan Watts says, we're spending our time making money in jobs we hate so we can continue to do, to make more money, to do our jobs we hate longer. When does the rat wheel end? When do we stop running in this hypnotized reality that we're living in that says, I have to continue doing what I don't like doing so I have the money to continue what I don't like doing because if I stop running or I start, or I stop, or I start showing up as I really am, what will people think? The place that I changed in my life 
And it sounds so Pollyannishly simple, but it isn't easy. As I no. started practicing kindness, because what I saw is it isn't matter at all. What David, what you think of me, it's not going to affect me. You can tell me what you think of me. You can knock me down all day long, but I've done a better job of knocking myself down than you're than you could ever do. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Keep going. <laughs> okay. I was hoping so, you were. I was literally like inside, crawling out of my skin, hoping I was like, he's going to say kindness. He's going to say kindness. He's yeah. Gonna, and then I yeah. was like, he said kindness. Yeah. And so and so, what I spend my time doing, I notice and putting myself down is I'm literally, if you could see us on video. What I would be doing is my right hand would be swinging at myself and my left hand would be stopping myself from hitting myself. Mm -hmm. And the place where I'm catching that punch is about two millimeters, three millimeters from my body. And because I don't know where I'm going to hit myself, am I going to hit myself in my face, in my gut, in my balls, in my legs, in my feet? What I've done is I've created a silo three, three millimeters away from me, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I wonder why I feel alone and isolated. The only remedy to remove that silo from me is when I start being kind to myself and I don't hit myself anymore. I no longer need the wall up to protect myself from the hit that I'm not giving myself. And suddenly my world opens up exponentially. It grows. And so the first practice of the mosaic is the practice of knowing yourself, connecting to yourself through the process of being kind to yourself. Now, I might look across the meadow and I might see you there and I might go, you're a scary mofo. So I'm going to put my wall back up. But when you and I come wall to wall, I can say to you, David, will you do an experiment with me? Can we try to take one brick down at a time and see if we feel comfortable? Here's my promise to you. I will never hurt you. I will be kind to you. Nothing I will ever do will ever try and hurt you. Would you be willing to take one brick down? And if you feel comfortable, take another one down. And you can stop at any point in time. But let's at least get a chance to see each other a little. And who knows, maybe we'll see each other a lot. As soon as I do that, the second practice of connection starts, which is the practice of being connected to source, to knowing there's something bigger in this world than me. In my silo, all that existed was me. Now that my silo is open, I, I see, wow, there's, a, there's something out there that's in charge of this world that's making you and me connect. Mm -hmm. and, my, and when I can become vulnerable to, that, to the power of the universe that, that runs through us both, something can happen. We can have, things can become possible that were never possible before. And suddenly when that happens, it opens up the third connection. And the third connection is the connection of purpose. I can now say, David, now that we've taken down our wall, now that we're vulnerable with each other, what do you think our purpose is? What do you think we're supposed to do together? Why do you think this moment was created for us to come together and be with each other and experience each other? It could be that it's just for that moment of enjoying that moment. Or it could be there's something great that we have in store for us in front of us. And when you have kind people that are vulnerable, that are purpose-driven, that's when the fourth connection can happen. That's the connection that Margaret Mead talks about throughout all of time. 
If you look at the changes in the world, it's happened through a small group of committed people that have come together to change the world, and they have. And that's when connection to other can happen. Mostly people think connection is just you and me talking like we're doing. And there's a good connection. But when we come from a place of, of being kind to each other, being vulnerable with each other, being, being, being guided by a purpose, then what we can create in our connection, in the mosaic that we build by connecting with each other, we can have an impact on the world that the world would never see before. And now I'm going to shut up. No, that's all. I, I, again, I have so much that I, I, I'm, I have a couple things that I'll jump in because there's some points that I forgot to bring up, but I take notes as we talk. But that's very well said. And, and I will say that what I find in life is that, um, and, and this may be, you, you might actually believe this, but some people don't. And it can be hard when people meet me or they interact with me. Is like my wall is in a Lego kit in a backpack. I don't come with my wall. I, bring, I do bring my wall, but it's packed away. And what I find is like sometimes I need to get my wall out because, oh, but sometimes people are not nice. Um, but people often either think that because I practice that people either think that I'm uh, overwhelming uh, in my presence, not that I'm being nosy or anything, but it's just, it's just to use a different adjective, it's weird to them. Like maybe I'm oversharing or something or I don't know, whatever. Um, uh, sometimes it's, it's perceived as fake. You know, there's a lot of things, but it's, I mean, if anybody that really knows me knows that I really don't. And I say this a lot on the podcast, Danny, is that people often mistake my kindness as a weakness, but my kindness is actually my biggest strength. Yeah. So I would really like to invite you to look at that because I would doubt, I would really, I would love to get feedback from your listeners because I've been very vulnerable. I've been very kind. I've been very gentle, but I've been powerful. Yeah. Because who I am, when I speak who I am, there's power that comes through me that is not considered fake, that is not considered inauthentic, that is not considered like, oh my God, what are you, why are you oversharing? It's, it's like a cool glass of water on a warm, hot day. It's refreshing. Because when you speak the truth of who you are to people who don't know how to get to who they are, or the people who want to be who they are and just need the encouragement to try it, they feel empowered. They feel invincible. They feel like I can do this now because someone else has shown me he can do it. And I would question the story that is created around the belief system of people think I'm not authentic. People think I'm, I'm, I'm too pushy. People think I am uh, sharing too much. I don't know who those people are because I can only tell you I speak to a lot of people. And unfortunately, I speak a lot for a guy whose who's message is to listen. <laughs> right? Which is fair. But I, I mean, I did invite you on to speak. So I, okay. I don't want you to beat yourself up. So No, I'm not beating I, myself up. But I'm so, saying I speak a lot. Yeah. Well, to, to give you some 
some answers. I mean, I, this is actual feedback that I've received. I used to do, uh, I spent many, many years on the trade show circuit. Um, so a lot of those people are now really, really good friends. And, you know, this is feedback that they've given me like the initial impression that they've had was like, Oh, you were this or you were that, but you know, or I thought you were, you know, just trying to sell me something or do whatever, but like they're, you know, just try to like, for example, um, how am I trying to say this, that I had an ulterior motive other than just being me. And then they realized after talking with me or seeing me the next day at the trade show that what you see is what you truly get. Um, so it was, a, maybe it was, maybe I'm using the wrong word, disarming, I don't know, but, and then there are some people who are just, have plain been like, well, you're a little strange and they just, you know, walk away. But and maybe that's my perception is, is a skewed. So I'll look at it for, yeah, for I, you. I will I, look at it. Thank you. I would like to invite you to Boston tea party. That story to just take it off your ship and throw it overboard. And to just create, create a new story. You know, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I wrote a book for the hotel Andaz when it was opening up. It was the most anticipated opening of 2013. It was the, the Andaz Resort and Spa uh, LED certified green hotel in Maui, Hawaii. And they had me come there and they said, we want you to write our story. And I said, great, tell me what your story is. Let's sit together and tell me your story. They said, you don't understand. We don't have a story. We want you to create it. And I said, okay, fair enough. I want to see your core values and I want to know why people come here. They showed me their core values. I took them with me and I sat with them. They said, people come here to fall in love or to re or to reignite their love. So I said, great, I'm going to write a love story using your core values. I'm going to create characters who fall in love and I'm going to have resistance to them falling in love. And I'm going to explain the characters of who you are to you. And I wrote their core, I wrote their characters. And one of the guys that I wrote about was the man's man. He was the best athlete. He was the smartest guy. He was the one, he was the guy every guy wants to be, be. He was the one all the women loved. He was the one that was the best hunter, the best, or the best gamesman, the best in, in, the, in the boat and the canoe. He was the one that was best with the money. He did all the things right. And I ended the story by saying, and every night he went home to, with a different woman because every woman in the island wanted to be with him. And I showed them to, to the, the chapter as it was as I had written it. And they said, Danny, you can't write that in a hotel like this. We'll get, we'll get accused of all sorts of things. Right? And I said, oh, you're right. Excuse me. I forgot what I was doing. And I took 15 words out and put 15 words in, give or take a few words. I took out the words that he went ever home every night with another woman and I replaced it with, even though he could have gone home every night with a woman, with any woman on the island, he couldn't wait to get home to the woman, the only woman he wanted to be with, his, his lover and his, and his soul and his soulmate completely changed the context of the story. And all it took was a 10 or 15 word change. What are the 10 or 15 words that you could change in your story that would completely change the context of how you view yourself 
and how other view, view, others view you that would allow you to be in resonance with who you really are? That's a good question. Something that we'll all have to think about. Yeah. Um, so going back, if you don't mind, I want to jump please, in. So please. there's, <clears throat> I ha do you know what the Fermi paradox is? No. So it's the uh, theories about why we haven't encountered aliens yet in, in, in outer space. And some of the, there's theories like we're the only ones, we're the first, we're the first species to get this far. So nobody's achieved intergalactic travel. There's a theory that they've already come, they know we're here, they're studying us and we're just too crazy or too, too uh, immature to accept that there are other beings in the universe. Then there's um, my favorite, which is that any civilization that gets to a certain point is doomed to self-destruct. And I bring that up because earlier you said something that made me write that down. I don't remember what it is now. My memory didn't uh, write that down, but I wanted to talk about it because I think evolutionary, here's, I think, hopefully this will make sense to you as to why I wrote it down. But, uh, oh, why we all have superpowers and why we all strive to do that is because I think biologically speaking, this is just, this. you might want to get out your tinfoil hat, Danny. I'm just warning you. Like, <laughs> If you have one, put it on now, please. I don't have one. Okay. Um, well, maybe I'll. Maybe that's what I could give to my guests <laughs> for coming on. But like, hey, thanks. Here's your tip. So my my theory is this, and I know it's it's going to be to quote the the infamous philosopher Kardashian Cray Cray, but just bear with me for a second. I believe that we are biologically driven to succeed, meaning. We, if you believe in evolution in any way, shape, or form, you know, what beliefs are beliefs. If you, you know, whatever, I'm just going to carry on with the story, believe what you want. But so we are humans, we have, we are the apex predator. We are that because we have evolved to be that apex predator, and we continue to evolve. From if you believe the theory of how the cells got together, we crawled out of the ocean or whether you believe in the creationist theory or whatever, but you have to acknowledge that we have uh, done things to make the human species uh, advanced beyond all others. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time um, fixing laryngitis in, in dolphins. Uh, you know, it's all about humans all the time. So I feel like that is a, an innate biological drive to succeed, uh, to reproduce, to succeed, to carry on, to move, that is within us that I don't think we acknowledge. Oh, so to carry out the thing is like, we will evolve to a point where if we don't stop, same point, if we don't stop and smell the roses, which goes along with your ordinary speech, which I will tie in if you give me a moment, is that if we don't stop and think and we just want to succeed all the time and wear our capes and get our superpowers, we are doomed to fulfill the Fermi paradox where we will have bigger missiles, bigger whatever, and we will destroy ourselves. We will destroy the planet with us. So I, I think that that ties into the superhero thing. And then being with the, the ordinary, um, 
you know, why I gave it a solid five is like, if we don't stop and think and just believe like, and, and to me, you said another word that I talk about a lot on the show is content. What's mm-hmm. so darn wrong with being content? So I talked to um, Corey about his bipolar disorder and he's, uh, you know, bipolar, manic depressive, bipolar is disorders now. So there's extreme highs and extreme lows. There's extreme like euphoric and there's extreme low depressions. And the beauty of everything is just being right in the middle, just being content. And people have a lot of negative perceptions or about bipolar disorder based on media, TV, what we see. We don't really, you know, or, you know, we project these things. But Corey's point was like his, his goal is like, why can't we just be content? There, I love the word content. And I, mm-hmm. I also love the word kindness too. But hopefully I quickly tied those together. But now I forgot my point why I brought up. Um, I don't know. I'll remember. So the other thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. The other thing I wanted to bring up to you from earlier is the, have you ever read the study the four monkey, about the four monkeys? Um, maybe, but I, doesn't, I don't know. So I just uh, talked to another um, podcaster and his episode will actually air prior to this, but Sean Douglas. And he talked, we talked about uh, his career in the military and how he hated the term perceptions reality in the military because it's not really reality. But he talks about the four, study of the four monkeys. There's four monkeys and they're given a banana in the middle, but the banana is electrically charged. So when they touch the banana, they get shocked. Yep. They remove one monkey. The new monkey doesn't know this. Goes to touch the banana. The other three stop the monkey. The monkey doesn't know why. It hasn't touched it. It hasn't gotten shocked. It doesn't know why. But it doesn't touch the banana because every time it goes near it, the other guys freak out or girls, you know, whatever. I don't want to be gender. But anyway, so they replaced the monkeys one at a time. So at the end of the experiment, you have four brand new monkeys. The original monkey from the first, the first one that came in that didn't know is gone now too. Four new, four monkeys. They won't touch the banana and none of them know why. Hmm. Okay. I felt like that tied in with something you said earlier. I can't remember what it is now because I wrote it so far earlier and the, um, and I talked too much. That's all. And no, no, it's not it at all. But um, I have so many notes with you that that's why I'm like, oh, I need to tell, so, I need so to tell Danny this. I need jump to tell in this. And, jump in and interrupt. Let's go, let's go back to your evolution story. Oh, sure. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Indian teachings, not the American Indian, but the Eastern Indian, not the feathers, but the dots, as, mm-hmm. they're, as, as they're lovingly called. Um, Talk about four different periods in evolution. They're called yugas. They last 24,000 years, roughly. Um, in the areas of time, or maybe they're 2,400 years. I don't, I don't know quite exactly. They last a long time. In the areas of our greatest knowledge, we think those are now, but we're actually in the, we're actually just coming out of the lowest form. We're coming out of the form where people think that form is reality. 
form is not reality. The reason why we think form is reality is because we have bodies and we live in forms and everybody lives in boxes. We carry boxes around, we work looking into boxes and we think those boxes are what's real, but that's not what's real. Quantum physics is now telling us that the world is energy. That when you look at your body under a microscope, when you actually look at what this mass is and you magnify it out to the point where you can see what's inside of it, you don't see any mass at all. You see swirls of energy. You see protons and neurons and whatever it is. I'm not smart enough to know what you see, but I know you don't see form. We have, we have devolved into the lowest place and now we're slowly over a lot of years building ourselves back up. So it isn't that human beings are the best thing that's going on because look at where reality is taking us now in a very, very, very short period of time, 15 to 20 years from now, the human mind will no longer be the smartest mind on the planet. The artificial intelligent mind will be, will, will outthink the human mind and outperform the human mind and do things that the human being can never do. It'll do it faster, it'll do it more efficiently, it'll do it cleaner, it'll do it better. And so for a world that's based on the reality that we are the top of the species, we're gonna have a big crash and burn if we don't adapt. We're not even talking about an alien intelligence. We're not even talking about the fact that people from other planets, beings from other planets, who have come here and visited us already, will one day come and inhabit with us as well. We will go from being the most intelligent species on the planet to, it, to at best, the third smartest species on the planet. Artificial intelligence, intergalactic intelligence, and human intelligence. Why is the mosaic concept so important? And this isn't what I talk about in the book at all, but the concept of the mosaic is so important because it's only in the interconnectedness of those realities that we have any chance of surviving, really. And so think about where the world is going at, at rates that are so much faster than we can even imagine. We are exponentially growing at rates that we could never even perceive possible even five years ago. 95% of the biz businesses that operate today will be extinct in, in 15 to 20 years. They won't even exist. For those people who are old enough as, as me, they'll be like phone booths and blockbusters. Blockbuster, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be big major businesses, Kodak, that, that were huge businesses that suddenly just disappear because we have better, more capable systems of doing what they do. The phone that we hold in our pocket now will exponentially grow so that 8 billion people will eventually have more capacity to think with minds that are sitting in their pocket than anybody in the world could ever believe possible five years ago. And 8 billion of us will have that capacity. 
So in a world where nobody gets a chance to speak and nobody gets listened to and people feel like they don't have relevance and don't have importance and don't feel like they have a place, it's more important for us now than ever to hear the voice of the voiceless, to allow them to speak to us, through us, with us, and to help them get voice in the world. One of the things we're doing, and you, you can see it on my website, it's called the Mosaic Swarm, where we're bringing people together and we're charging $1 a month to be a member. We still don't have many members, but the goal is to have 1 billion people as our members. And what we want is we want to use swarm intelligence, AI-generated, guided process that allows the human mind to think smarter, to think more boldly, to think without discrimination, to think without anger, to think without judgment, by bringing people together into an anonymous room, a virtual room, and asking them to solve questions. And there's a puck in the center of the room, and each person has a magnet and draws the puck to where they think the answer is. And over a very short period of time, the group moves together towards one destination. It's processes like this that will revolutionize the way we think. Because Buckminster Fuller said, the problems of the world that exist today cannot be solved with the minds of the world that exists today. We have to create a new paradigm that makes the old paradigm obsolete. I wouldn't think so much about the past. I wouldn't think so much about what people think about us. Most of the innovators were, were scorned and laughed at and people threw stones at them and called them crazy because we don't fit into boxes that are neat little boxes that have pretty little pink ribbons that tie and shut. We think in ways that people don't understand because there's no box to put us in. But those who, who know, those who understand, will start to ba band together. They'll become the early adapters that will actually create a new world. And even those who don't believe, like I'm looking now for what I call the minority of 1 billion people. Let 7 billion people disagree with me. I, I completely understand why they wouldn't want to agree with me, why they would call me crazy. I'm not looking for them. Let them be in their, in their let them live in the majority of 7 billion. I'm looking for the minority of 1 billion. And when we start to make the changes we want to, we want to initiate, everybody's boat will rise because when the water comes into the, to the, when the tide comes in, every boat in the harbor rises. They can believe in us or not believe in us, we will still rise their boat. There is real change going on right now. And it's good to hear. Um, that's good to hear that, that, that you're doing this and it's, it's happening. Um, I talked to my nephew, Ryan, a lot. We have some, well, he's not the only person, but we, I tend to have deep conversations about subjects and we'll geek out, uh, on a particular subject. But, uh, Ryan and I talk about the Fermi paradox and intergalactic travel. And I really don't believe, I mean, I'm sorry. I really believe that we will, there's so much that we could achieve if we just all worked together. Yeah. 
and it, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I can see it at, at work um, when so, I hire diverse teams and it's, it's strange, like, or when I work on a diverse team, the diverse team's usually the best. Um, I mean, you want, I, I like when we have conversations where everybody is, first of all, is established a safe space, you know, that's, that's important. And I think you're doing that. And then people can express their thoughts and opinions and then there can be um, discourse, but not rude discourse. Like just because you don't agree on something or you challenge somebody doesn't mean you're a horrible person or that they're picking on you. They're just, they're, if quite frankly, if they're doing that, I think that they've paid attention and, and, you know, you've struck something and you can have that conversation that can transcend into something even better. Uh, if you're all willing to go there. Um, but I, I digress. So I, I like what you're doing, what you just said with the mosaic and, and the minority of 1 billion. Sounds pretty <laughs> cool. Sounds pretty cool, Danny. Thank you so much. Um, well, we really talked about a lot today. I mean, I, you, it was, it was fun to listen to you today. I mean, you're, you're a great storyteller. Um, Thank you. And there's a lot that you said that resonated. So like what this conversation will sit with me for several days and I'll carry, you'll be one of the podcasts that I talk about with future podcasts episodes on a lot. I'm sure Thank I will you, be Ed. referencing, I will be referencing this, this episode quite a bit. Um, well, the beauty of the title of your podcast is that everything is our perception. Our perceived reality becomes our reality. It doesn't mean that it is the reality. It's just our, it just becomes our reality. Yes. But the yes. beauty of a perceived reality is our perceptions can change, which means our reality can change. And yes. the more we allow our perceptions to have the possibility to change, the more we allow ourselves to innovate new stories for the world to live by. The more we allow new forces to come into our lives to allow us to see things. We live in like-minded community and think it's so good because we remember, we remember the time where people thought we were crazy and we found a group of people who thought like us and we thought, oh my God, I died and went to heaven because there are other people just as crazy as I am. Confirmation bias. Right? And we thought, oh my God, I'm so happy to find these people. But everything has a season. And what was once the greatest reality in the world has become the biggest problem in the world. Because now what's happening is my like-minded community is getting bigger and stronger. And other people's like-minded communities are getting bigger and stronger. And the gaps between our like-minded communities are growing wider and deeper. And we no longer know how to talk to each other. We no longer know how to listen to each other. Because now our voices are loud. And all we do is talk over other people, hoping that if we talk over them, people will come to our way of being so that we can feel secure again in what we believe. But innovation comes in diversity. Innovation comes in the unlike mind. When it's time for us now to get out of our silos all across the board, our personal silos that we hide behind, our like-minded community silos that we live in and hide behind, God didn't create the world with silos. He created open fields, and it's time for us to walk it together again 
in open fields and listen to each other. Because I believe in a world where anything is possible. For me, the only reason it's not possible yet is because I don't see a way to make it possible. But when I start to talk with people who see the world differently than I do, my chances increase incredible in incredible amounts to seeing something I never saw before, to seeing a new way to make what I thought it was impossible possible. And that's where innovation is. That's where change is. That's where radical transformation happens. In those spaces where the unlike minds come together to create a solution to something that should have been solved long ago. And it's time. If I can go down one more rabbit hole, there's one more story I'd like to tell and then I'll shut up. Or hey, this, have... this, this Alice is ready. Go ahead. Okay. I have the honor of having a 30-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. I can't say that I always thought it was an honor because my daughter is not able to speak like you and I speak. And so, so often I've had no idea what she wanted. I remember when she was young, just praying to the God that I believe in, that if I could only have a conversation with her, where I could understand her for 45 minutes and just ask her a few basic questions, it would be all I would want from life, that I actually knew what she felt and what made her happy and what she needed and why she got frustrated and what it was that I needed to know. But I never got that time. And so what would happen over the course of time is we developed somehow a way of knowing and understanding each other. And most of the time I understood her, but sometimes I didn't. And when she said something that I didn't understand her, she would say it louder, thinking that if she said it louder, I might understand her. And in some cases, when she said it louder, she pronounced the words slightly differently, and I, I heard something I didn't hear before. But in the majority of the cases, it wasn't the volume that was keeping me from hearing her. It was the clarity of how she said it. And so I didn't still understand her. And so when she said it softly and said it loudly and still didn't get heard, then she threw a tantrum, and that tantrum could come in the middle of a restaurant, in the middle of a car, a car ride on a freeway. It could come in the middle of, a, of a, a classroom. It could come in the middle of a store. It could come while our family was having dinner or while we were having guests at our house or while we were driving from this place to that place or while we were going to a sporting arena or while we were going to an amusement park. You never knew when they were going to come, but they would come, and they happened sometimes as often as 10, 12 times a day for years over years over years, and I'm talking about five, 10 years at a time. And when her tantrum didn't get me to understand what she was saying, she would come running at me with anger and try and rip my shirt or bite me on the arm because she wanted, to, she wanted so badly to be heard and she couldn't be heard. When I stepped back from it, first of all, what I realized is every single person I know acts in the same exact way that my daughter Elisa does. When they speak and they don't get heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create a scene. When they create a scene and they don't get heard, they try and destroy. And that can be a, a CEO working with his team in a company. That can be a government and then working with his team in legislation, because I worked with all of them. Or, or, I mean, I've worked with each of them. I haven't worked with every government or every CEO, for God's sake, no. It can be a family member in a family where they don't feel heard. It could be a student in a school 
It could be an organization of a church or, or a synagogue or, or a religious group where people don't feel listened to and don't feel heard. But here's the thing that happened. Finally, after 10 or 15 years of my daughter doing this 8, 10, 12 times a day, finally, it sounds stupid of why did it take so long for me to get it. I said to her, Elisa, as hard as I've been trying, I can't understand you when you speak like this. And I certainly don't understand you when you act out. Can you find another way to communicate to me where you can get through without using your words? And she went from the midst of her rage to this big Buddha-like laugh with this big smile. And she said, I am daddy, perfect English. And I said, you son of a gun, what are you doing? And she took her forefinger and she pointed to her head. And in that moment, I realized what she was saying is she had been putting thoughts into my mind that I thought she had been doing, but I didn't trust. And I said to her, Elisa, have you been putting thoughts in my head all this time that I haven't listened to? And she went into hysterical laughter. She was just so happy that finally I got it. And she went, yes, daddy, yes. Again, in perfect English. And we laughed for what seemed like weeks, but was only probably two or three minutes. Oh, but it's still a long time from the midst of her rage. Do you know from the moment that happened, she hasn't ever tantrum again? I believe it. What's so important for us is when people act out, when they yell, when they get aggravated, when they tantrum, when they create a scene, when they try and destroy an initiative or try and create violence amongst us, when they, when they yell at us or tell us what we're not doing, there's only one reason for it all is they don't feel heard. If we would listen to people, if we would hear what they're saying, if we would let them know we hear them, we may not agree with them, but we hear them. We acknowledge what they've said. We validate them for having that opinion. We accept them and love them no matter what. The problems that exist in the world that we live in today would be gone. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. That's my experience as well, um, is that you don't have to agree with somebody, but you have to acknowledge what their, their message is, what they're trying to say to you. And you can have a discussion like on a podcast like this, and you can actually disagree with somebody, but you can still have a discussion. Totally. And I find that people, and again, I'm going to generalize to make a point. So, you know, if you're listening, I might be talking about you. I might not. I don't know. Only you know for sure. And only you can prevent forest fires. Um, is that people listen to respond. Don't listen to respond. Yeah. Stop listening to respond. Just listen. Listen to learn something. Yeah, that, that's, that. That, that's my preaching moment for right now, but I will share with you a story. So when uh, I forget which one of my children was young, we were in a toy store, you know, with a giraffe on the logo or whatever. And um, there was a tantrum that ensued. So, you know, uh, my wife and I were, were pretty calm. Uh, again, you know, that's pretty much what you get all the time. 
but I remember saying, I think, I don't know, one of them, there must have been three or four. I don't know. It's probably Max. I don't think Marissa would ever have done that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I remember calmly saying, I kneeled down next to the tantrum and I was like, and I just said it in a, in a tone similar to this. I was like, I, I'm sorry. I can't understand you when you're, when you're talking like this and acting like this. Can you, can you help me understand or something like that? And it was like the record scratched. There was the look, the eye contact. And then all of a sudden there was this perfect little three or four year old English coming out. You know, I was like, well, tell me about why you're upset. You know, we had a conversation and like people were like, you know, when there's a tantrum, people pretend to look, pretend that they're not looking, but they're yeah. like looking. Yeah. And then by the end of this exchange and calming down, like people were like, it was like I was David Copperfield. And for those yeah. of you that don't know, he's a magician. Yeah. Uh, maybe David Blaine. I'm not too I, I I'm picking on the Davids because, well, they're Davids. Let's just face it. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cover that one up. Uh but you know, I, I again I digress. Uh but it was like I was doing a magic trick. Yeah. Strange. Well, in fact, you were my friend. The art of listening is the art of magic. And so you were doing magic. Ooh, can I title this episode that? <laughs> yes, you can. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's this episode's title. I love it. So while you're writing, I'm just going to reference one last time. Please do. To, to know, to find out any, if you're interested, maybe you've had your full share of me and that's fine too. But if you want to know any more about me, you can go to my website, danielbrucelevin.com, and I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. And if you'll do me the honor of buying my book, The Mosaic, and writing to me and telling me what you think of it and how you experience it and how you not only read the words and experienced the stories, but how you experience the space between the stories, I would love to know what you feel. I... We'll speak for myself. Hopefully the, re the listeners will as well, but I wrote it down. It's on my list um, of books, um, but I'm I will definitely do that for you. Right now, I'm, um, I'm a fan of stoicism, so I'm reading Stillness is a Key by Ryan Holiday. Yep. Um, probably somebody that you've probably met in real life because you're that kind of cool guy, but you know, I, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm totally going to read the mosaic and I will write to you and I will let you know what I think. And all the links, uh, as you mentioned, you're going to send them to me and I will make sure yes. that they are distributed with the episode. Uh, I'm not going to let that go by. Um, the only advertising that I do and accept on the show is for my guests. If they have something that they want to, I don't accept any advertising. I don't, um, this is a, uh, a labor of love and, uh, sincerely. So, um, all the links will be provided for everybody. But Danny, I just want to say an early thank you because we're, we're wrapping up, but, um, and I'm sure I will say thank you again here in a moment. Did we cover, did we, did I help you do justice to the topics that you want to discuss? I asked this of every guest because I want to make sure that because I do come unprepared um, on purpose so I can ask naive questions or do something just to really learn. That's, that's my way of learning is to not know something so I can 
everything is a blank slate so I can actually learn something about what I want to learn. Um, there's a movie with Bruce Lee where he's teaching somebody and he, in, in the movie, he's not speaking English, but the, the person wants to learn uh, Kung Fu. And mm -hmm. so he pours, he does this water of glass analogy and he pours the glass out. He, you know, he's like, you have this glass of water, you have to pour it out. So I tried to come with an empty glass and let people fill my glass with their knowledge. I, I know that probably sounds corny, but I do. That's doesn't sound corny at all. I, I think you are very, very, very good at holding the space for people to be themselves with you and to show up and give the information they feel to give in that moment. So I think you did an, a great job. And I feel very thankful to have been on your show. I'm very thankful to reach the one, the two, the five, the hundred, the thousand, the million that will hear it. It doesn't matter the number because we never know what one person who hears a message will say to the next person who hasn't heard the message and how that message will connect piece by piece, one piece at a time to spread out into a world to bring peace, P-E-A-C-E, -E, by the connection of the pieces, P-I-E-C-E. I think that's the mission, that's the work, that's the love. And I really thank you for allowing me the space to share with you and the people who listen to your show to share who I am and what I'm doing with you. It is a great journey today. And I do thank you for that. And lately, I've been kind of ending the podcast with this is that I truly believe that time is our most valuable asset we're all born with a very limited quantity of time that we don't know how much time we have. So I always tell people when I'm working with them that time is their most valuable asset. Be careful how they spend it. Uh, so thank you for spending time with me. And again, listeners, thank you for spending time with both of us because we, I, I, I'm going to speak for you on this one, Danny, that I feel like you also can appreciate how precious time is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you to you. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you for anybody who hears it from the listeners who have heard it. Um, thank you to the universe who knows exactly who needs to hear it and gives it to them. Absolutely. And, and Danny's given you a way to contact him. Uh, and if they want to reach out to you directly, they can do so from the website, which is what again, one last time, DanielBruceLevin.com, and we'll have it in the show notes. Absolutely. They can email me right there. They can, uh, they can contact me through the page if they feel better doing it that way. But my email address is right there. My links are right there. <laughs> my Facebook, all that stuff is right there. Awesome. And again, uh, we'll be tagged and presented when this episode airs. Uh, and just to remind everybody out there, if you would like to contact David, that is me. You can reach me at pirpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're ever so inclined, which I would love one of you to call um, somewhere around the world, uh, because I'm, I'm, and by the way, thank you for listening around the world. I know I've thanked you before, but I'm thanking you again. Deal with it. So thank you. Uh, it's country code 1 585 210 0240. That's the voicemail line. You can leave me a voicemail again. To remind everybody, if you don't want your message aired, I will respect your wishes. If you tell me in the voicemail, 
you don't want it aired. However, if you don't, I may bring up your voicemail uh, message to me uh, on a podcast episode. I might reference it. I often think that I'm going to compile those and do a whole episode of just that, but I really don't. That doesn't really, it's not appealing to me. So just leave me a voicemail. Let's connect. Uh, imagine what could happen if we actually connected. It's almost like we just talked about connecting for like an hour and a half, right? Yeah. It's, it's strange. So <laughs> take this as your launching point. Reach out to me. Reach out to Danny. Let's connect one at a time. We can do it. So thank you again, Danny. I appreciate you being here. Um, and everybody, thanks. We'll uh, have another episode next week. <laughs>